0: With that song in the back of your mind, close your eyes and listen to Genesis chapter 12. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth Shall be blessed. So Abram went. Now listen to Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 18. In hope, Abraham believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he has been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who has delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. And now Hebrews chapter 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going, but by faith he went to live in the land of promise. Lord, I pray that you would increase our faith this morning. We thank you for the examples of Scripture, for the examples of people in Scripture who stepped out in faith to follow you. And it was counted to them as righteousness. Lord, I pray that you would lead us out. Lord, I pray that you would take us higher, that you would take us deeper, and that we would be obedient to follow you. Lord, I believe that you, that you desire more of each one of us. And that you desire to lead each one of us on an on a incredible journey, on a great adventure with you. where where the next steps, the next things to do are unknown to us, but fully known by you. And so we want to follow you, Lord God, into the unknown. Because what's unknown to us is known and planned and ordained for good by you. And so, Lord, in this new year, I pray that we would, as a church, take bold steps of faith as we follow you, as we walk by faith, not by sight. I pray now that you would make your word come alive to us. I pray that you would stir it in our hearts. I pray that we would walk out of here with a greater affection for you and a greater ability to be obedient to you because we've been renewed through your spirit with your power for your glory and the good of your gospel. We ask these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. I love that song. That song has kind of been a theme of mine for the past couple of years. Thank you, Mark and Jen, for playing it so beautifully. Um, and I just love the words there, this, this journey that they're being drawn out on, this journey that we are being drawn out on by God. You have called me higher, you have called me deeper, and I will go where you will send me, Lord. As we approach another year, I believe that God is calling us as a church to take another step of faith. Two years ago, the step of faith that God asked us to take was to merge two churches together, two separate churches with two separate demographics, two different age groups, two different styles of ministry, two different philosophies, um, but the same Lord. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so two years ago, these two churches stepped out in faith, not knowing what would happen, but trusting that Jesus loves his church more than us and trusting that Jesus has said that we're, we're... Two or more are gathered together. I will be there in my spirit. And trusting that as Jesus gives us the command to love one another, that he will empower us to be able to actually love one another. And so we stepped out in faith trusting in who God is and what God was calling us to do. Two years later, God has blessed that step of faith. He, is, he has blessed us immensely. And now we're trying to figure out what's the next step of faith look like for us. I, I think kind of that phase of our story as a church is, is done. Um, we're on a continual journey with God. The Christian life is one big journey. It's filled with risk. It's filled with challenges. But I think that specific step of faith that God asked, asked us to take two years ago has kind of come to a completion. And now he's asking us to step out in faith into another adventure, taking another step of faith. And I think for us, that looks like How do we handle the growth that he's brought us, the gospel growth that he's brought us? What do we do as a church when the building is full, when people have needs and it's hard to meet those needs? How do we multiply groups? Right now we have 10 community groups and we'd like to see 18 by the end of 2018. How do we do that? That's a step of faith. We can't force it to happen. We can't make it happen, but God can produce that. We believe people are cared for best, they're discipled, they're shepherded, they're they're. They're built up in their faith in community groups. So we as a church, we want to multiply community groups. That's a step of faith that we are taking. We want to multiply our gathering. We believe that God has called us to add another worship service. So March 4th, we're adding another worship service. Um, We're stepping out in faith. We don't know how that's going to go. It terrifies me because it involves logistics and details and communication, and I don't enjoy those things. So for me, it's a big stretch. But some people who love logistics and details and communication, it's not a big deal for but we believe God is asking us to step out in faith in that way and we believe God is asking us to step out in faith in giving. So we believe he's asking us to step out in faith in multiplying groups. We believe he's asking us to step out in faith in multiplying gatherings and we believe he's asking us to step out in faith in giving. Giving people, giving resources to planting the gospel in other neighborhoods and other countries. We want to give leaders and people to church plants or church replants. We want to give people and leaders to missionaries and church planting around the world. And so that's where we believe God is calling us to go in this next year. And we're going we're gonna to look at faith here in the scriptures this morning and see, just kind of see how faith works, how faith plays itself out. But before we do that, I want to recommend to you three books that I would love to have all of you read this year. These are all very short books, very easy reads, but I think they will help stretch your faith. I think they will encourage you in profound ways in this upcoming year. The first one is Pursuing the Will of God by Jack Hayford. And as you read that, read through Genesis chapter 12 through 25, the story of Abram becoming Abraham. Pursuing the Will of God tracks the life of Abraham. And for me, this has been a book that has encouraged me over the years as as I've tried to live my life by faith rather than by sight. The second one, Risk is Right by John Piper, a very small book that breaks down the idea that anything is secure. Nothing is secure, right? I mean, we, we gravel for security. We want security here in this life, but then um, the stock market tanks and we lose all of our finances, or a house fire happens and we lose all of our possessions, or a car wreck happens and we lose a loved one. These are the realities that we live in, and so nothing is secure, nothing is safe. And so John Piper in this book does a great job of unpacking what does it mean then to live for God? If, if nothing is secure anyway, why not live our life for God? And then R.C. Sproul has a book titled What is Faith? A very short book that gives a good definition of faith. And so I highly recommend you reading those along with tracking through the story of Abram becoming Abraham in this upcoming year. I think as we take steps of faith as a church and, um, and it stretches all of us out of our comfort zone, out of our safety, these books will help you To understand why we believe God is calling us to do this, three main things I want to do with the sermon this morning I want to define faith, I want to observe faith, and then I want us to talk about what it looks like for us to apply faith here at Park Community Church. So, the first one faith defined. The best biblical definition for faith is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It's on page 1007 in the Pew Bible. Here's what it says. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And actually, starting next week, we're going to kick off a sermon series on the book of Hebrews. This is just a standalone sermon looking at faith. And so I'm excited to get into this book in it its deep, its rich context starting next week. But right here towards the end of this book, we have an incredible nugget. We have an incredible definition of what faith is. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Scene. Faith is assurance of what is to come. Even though we may not see the path or the journey ahead. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. And so this is a biblical reality. All through scriptures, we see people living by faith. We don't know what the future holds. So we're always living by faith. But faith in God helps us to step into the future with confidence. We can have conviction of what we don't see in the future because of who God is, what God is doing. Biblical faith and hope isn't like the world's faith and hope. I mean, usually when the world talks about faith and hope, it's these vague things that we, that we want to come to pass, right? Like, I hope the Vikings make it to the Super Bowl. Probably not going to happen. Um, I know they're well positioned for it, but... Maybe you can prove me wrong. Um, or just yesterday, my car wouldn't start. And so the world, I think, often thinks, oh, I hope this isn't a big deal, right? And, and sometimes people will say, I just have faith that it's going to be okay. Even Christians, well-meaning Christians, we can sometimes misplace our faith by saying, I just have faith it's going to work. When all reason, all evidence is saying it's not going to work. So I'm going to have to bring my car into the shop and pay money for it to get fixed. Um, the world puts its faith and hope in things that are just unsure. There, there are these ideas or these, these vague notions of things that we want to come to pass, like my son Judah and my daughter Avery hoping that they get ice cream for dinner. Probably not going to happen. But they can hope as hard as they want. They can have faith that dad is going to be nice tonight, and it's probably not going to happen. Um, our, our faith in God from the scriptures is different than the faith and hope of the world. Biblical faith and biblical hope is sure, it's proven, it's tested, as it takes God at his word. R.C. Sproul in the book, What is Faith? defines faith this way. He says, biblical hope is based on something God has said will happen in the future. It's a promise from God. God has promised this thing to us. So biblical hope is taking God at his word, saying God promised this, therefore we are Placing our faith and our hope in what He has promised. Hope for future promise finds its substance from trust and confidence in the one making the promise. I can have hope in the future because I have faith in God. Because I can trust the promise of God for tomorrow, there is substance to my hope. My hope is not a fantasy or a wish projection based on ideal dreams, rather, it is based on something substantive. I love that a fantasy or a wish projection. That's the world's hope and faith. It's fantasy or it's wish projection. I really want this and I'm projecting that if I do the right things or if that things align the right way, this is actually going to happen. But biblical faith is taking God at his word, saying God has promised some concrete things and we can step forward in faith knowing that these things will come to pass. They may not come to pass the way that we want them to. They may not come to pass in the timeline that we would like them to, but they will come to pass because God has promised it and God does not break his promise or his word. So biblical faith can step out. Biblical hope steps out trusting God. No matter the circumstances, no matter what results, we can trust where God is leading us. We have an eternal and a secure future to walk towards. It's taking God at his word, believing his promises, stepping into what is unknown to us because it's known to God. Now, with that as a biblical definition of faith, let's observe faith a little bit. Let's talk about how faith works in the scriptures. And to do that, I want to go back to Genesis chapter 12. We will start here and do a little overview, a little biblical overview of faith, really following, tracking Abram, who becomes Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, To the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went. Here's a beautiful picture of faith. Abram's home. He's in the the land of Ur. He's in a safe place. He's with his family. He's with his friends. He's in a culture, in a context, in a place that he knows, that he loves, that he's surrounded by safety in. And God comes to him and he says, go. Leave it. For I've got greater things for you. I will bless you and bless the nations of the world through you. And so Abram obeys. He believes God, he takes God at his word and he gets up and he leaves his safety, he leaves his comfort, he leaves the culture, the city, the community that he is known in and known by and comfortable with and he goes. He goes on this great adventure. God says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless the nations of the world through you and, and at this time, Abraham is 75 years old. So he's getting up there in age and he's thinking, okay, my wife, Sarah, is barren. We can't get pregnant. We've tried. It's not working for us. We've tried for years. It's not working. God's promising to give us a son through whom the nations of the world will be blessed. It seems, it seems crazy. It doesn't seem wise or smart or comfortable. I mean, the world would say, don't do this. You're an old man. Your wife can't even get pregnant. That voice that you heard probably isn't God. It's probably something you ate or it's demonic. Don't do it. And yet he's saying, no, it was the Lord. And he's calling me to go and trust him. And so therefore, I will go. So Abram at this time, his name isn't Abraham yet. Abram and his wife, Sari, get up and they go. They go on this journey. They go on this adventure. They bring some of their family with them. And as you track through Genesis, there's some hardships. There's some trials along the way. But God continues to speak to Abraham. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And he makes a covenant with Abraham. And he says, I will prosper you. I will give you a son, though your wife continues to be barren, though you continue to struggle to get pregnant. Abraham takes matters into his own hands, and he gets a maidservant pregnant. And then God says, "That's not the son that that I'm going to bless the nations through. It's going to come through Sarah, your wife." And so they're journeying, and it's 25 years between when God gave this promise and when Sarah finally gets pregnant. 25 years. We live in instant gratification culture, right? We want something and we want it now. How many of us would be willing to wait 25 years for the promises of God to come to fruition? And yet Abraham went out in faith, trusting God. Okay, God spoke to me. God reminds me of his covenant. I'm going to place my faith in him because he's bigger than I am. And though the circumstances of my life don't match the promises that he's given me, I need to believe in him that the promise he's given me will come to fruition in his timing, in his ways, underneath his authority. And so Abraham and Sarah aren't the perfect example. They step out in faith, but they take matters into their own hands. Anyone familiar with that? Maybe God's called you to do something. God's called you to step out in faith and, and you're not seeing the results. Things aren't happening the way that you would like them to. And so you're trying to make matter, take matters into your own hands. Abraham, one of our biblical examples of faith, did it. We're sinners by nature and choice. We just can't do life right, can we? And yet God continues in his promise in his covenant. Twenty-five years later, Abraham and Sarah get pregnant, and they give birth to a son named Isaac. Now as Isaac is growing up, God asks Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. What does Abraham do? He willingly does it. God provides a way out. God provides a goat for Abraham to sacrifice rather than his son Isaac. But can you imagine, again, the step of faith that it took? 25 years for my wife to get pregnant, this son who you have promised, who you have promised to multiply the nations through has come to me and now you want me to sacrifice him to take his life. That doesn't make sense, God. And yet Abraham does it and God provides a way out. Abraham's faith is stretched. If you look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, this is part of Abraham's story. We don't have time to go through all of it in context today. But this is his story. And it says here in verse 6 that Abraham believed the Lord and it counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham is on this journey where he doesn't see the future. He doesn't see how God's going to fulfill his promises he can't see clearly, he can't see straight, but he continues to place his faith, his trust, his hope in God. And God counts that to him as righteousness. So as we think about growing in faith, it's the same for us. As we take God at his word, as we trust God, as we as we battle taking circumstances into our own hands and trying to be our own gods and trying to do our own thing, but yet continually repenting of that and turning back towards God, turning away from trying to be our own gods and turning to the one true God through his son, Jesus Christ, it's counted to us as righteousness. Flip over to Romans chapter four and see how Paul here in the New Testament shows us that Abraham set the way for us. Well, he he prepared the way for Christ, who now is our righteousness. So in the New Testament context, we place our faith in Jesus the Christ. That's counted to us as righteousness. Look at Romans chapter chapter 4, starting in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who, for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why faith depend. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years, 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, no distrust made him ever waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. That is why faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the word The words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Jesus is the one who we now place our hope and our trust and our faith in. In placing our faith in Jesus, it's counted to us as righteousness. This is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, which we talk about weekly here at Park Community Church. The good news of Jesus Christ is that if your faith is in Jesus, your future is secure the, the steps between now and your future are unknown to us, but they're known by God, and so when you journey out into the unknown with God, you know the destination, you don't know the detours along the way, but you can be assured that he is with you, for scripture says God will never leave us nor forsake us. And so when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, our future is secure. It's counted to us as righteousness. And that righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, secures for us a place with God for all of eternity. And so this world can bring whatever it may to us, and our future is secure. That's what faith in the New Testament looks like. That's what growing in faith for us as a church looks like. As we move into 2018, my hope and prayer is that each one of us as individuals would grow in our faith that we would grow in our faith of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that we would walk securely knowing that our future is set and safe and secure and no one can take that from us. The good news of Jesus Christ is that you have nothing to lose and nothing to prove. You're chosen, you're adopted, you're made new. God calls you a son or a daughter and he's doing everything to fight for you on your behalf and to bring you home to be with him. And if your faith is in Jesus Christ, that is sure for you. Stop doubting that. Stop wondering what will happen. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ, there's security for you. And so we can journey out on this life. We can follow him into what is unknown to us because it's known and planned by him and he can use it for good. Romans 8 says that God is working out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So though the path may be windy, though it may be filled with mountain tops, mountain peaks and valleys, he is with us in those moments. And we see Abraham giving us a picture of what faith is like to step out on a journey and follow him. And so my hope for us as individuals is to grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. And he's going to call each one of us individually to take different steps of faith, right, as as people. He may ask you to give up this. He may ask you to go here. He may ask you to do this. He may ask you to do that. That's going to be different for each one of us. But as individuals, I think what we share is that we as a church need to grow in placing our faith in the one true son, Jesus, the Christ, so that our hope and future is secure and that no matter what path God leads us on as individuals, We can walk that path with confidence knowing that God is faithful. And then what about us as a church? So God's calling us as individuals to place our faith, increasingly place our faith in Jesus Christ and then as a church, what is God calling us to do as a church? First one is to place our faith in Jesus Christ. To remind one another of the gospel. To remind one another that our future is secure. That That in seasons of growth as a church and in seasons of joy as a church and in seasons of health as a church, our future is secure. We're not living for here, we're living for then. In seasons of downtime in a church life, in seasons of struggle, in seasons of discord, in seasons of pain to remind one another of the gospel, our future is secure in Jesus Christ. We have a destination. He's leading us home. So corporately, we must remind one another Of that. And encourage one another then to take steps of faith, to take risks, to live our lives not in a comfort zone, but to allow God to call us deeper and higher, and to allow Him to call us out. This is what it looks like to apply our faith. Faith applied leads to action, it doesn't lead to sitting back in safety and saying, I don't know what's going to happen. Faith applied for the Christian leads to action. It leads to going on a never-ending journey with God, as we see in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. So Abram went. He went. Faith requires action. It requires movement. And then in the New Testament, Matthew twenty-eight, nineteen, Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations. So to his followers, he says, Go. When you apply your faith, it requires action, it moves you outward, it sends you to live by faith, we must go. We have to be a people who step out in faith, taking God at his word, letting him lead us on this holy adventure that's unknown to us, but known to him. For some of you, this adventure idea comes naturally, comes easily. You're like, I'll give it all up and go. You're the people who need to make sure that you're spending time praying and listening and in community, making sure that God is leading you on this adventure, not your own um, self. That's me. I love adventure. I love risk. So for me, this is easy to talk about. I'm like, let's, let's leave it all and go somewhere. Let's go to a different country. Let's go to a different neighborhood. Let's start something new. And I need community around me to remind me, no, God has called us to do something here That means we also have to look out and we have to send people. We have to be generous to give. But what has God called us to do? So if you're the impulsive type, get some non impulsive people around you who will hold you to the fire, who will say, Have we really prayed about this? Have we really thought about this? Have we really planned? Yes, holding those plans with an open hand for God to direct. And if you're the person who fears adventure, you're like, I'm not going anywhere. I'm safe, I'm secure, everything is tidy, it's clean, it's neat. Get some people who hate tidy, clean, and neat things around you and rub each other the wrong way and encourage one another and and be willing to give up safety, be, be willing to give up comfort, be willing to give up what looks wise in the eyes of the world to trust God and step out in faith. This is why we're in a church family, because we need each other. Those who are naturally born to seek adventure and take risks need those who are naturally adverse to that. And those who are naturally adverse to that need those who like that to help push them. And so this is a church family, and I believe God has put us together to encourage one another to step out in faith, but to make sure that those steps are led by him. That he, Jesus, is the head of the church, and where he goes, we go. As he moves, we we move. So as we consider applying faith to the journey that God has us on as a church, now it takes some time individually. Um, I encourage all of you as individuals to think through, what is God asking you personally to step out in faith in? What is he asking you to trust him for in this upcoming year? And then as a church, I think God is asking us to step out in faith and then trust him. So as we think about what that is, we need to start by saying, what has God promised to us? If biblical faith is stepping into God's promises, not some vague notion or some gift projection or hope projection, what has God promised to us, Park Community Church? It's what he's promised to all of the churches. What can we hope for? What has Jesus promised us, Park Community Church? He's promised to build his church. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus tells the disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. That was 2,000 years ago before a ton of persecution. And guess what? Here we are today, on a different continent, in a different language, in a different building, in a different culture, and Jesus is building his church. Jesus has promised to build his church, and he said the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, won't quench it. They can't put out the fire. So we can be a part of the church. We can can seek the advancement of the church, knowing that Jesus will build his church no fire of hell, no scheme of man can quench the growth of Jesus' church. He's also promised to do this through his people. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, he says to the disciples, to the followers of Jesus, as he says to us, those who follow him, go into all the nations of the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And so he promises to build his church through his people. We can trust, we can step out as a church into this new year trusting that Jesus will build his church, that he will do it through us, and that he will do it in his world, both locally here in St. Louis Park, regionally in the greater Twin Cities in Minnesota area, and globally around the world. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on us. And so he's promising to build his church through us in the power of his Holy Spirit. He says, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, that's the city that they were in when this happened locally. In Judea and Samaria, that's the region that they were in when God gave this promise, the region. And then to the ends of the earth, the globe. And here we are 2,000 years later on a different continent being recipients of that promise and carrying that promise on. So Jesus has promised to us that he will build his church, that he will do it through us, that he will do it in St. Louis Park, that he will do it in the Twin Cities Metro, and that he will do it around the world. And he invites us into that, each as individuals and us as a church corporately. He says, Come on this journey with me. Step out in faith. You don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what what other country I have planned for Park Community Church, but I will reveal it in the right time and I will prepare people to go in the right time. And if you want to be a part of this great adventure, step out in faith, trusting the finished work of Jesus that you have an eternal secure home and then follow me and your life will be a great unending risk and it'll bring so much joy. I promise you it's better than the safety of your living room. Although the safety of your living room may be a piece of the journey, okay? So don't worry. It doesn't mean you have to live on Iraq or in Iraq, um, though some should. Okay, so what is God asking us to do? How are we applying faith at Park Community Church in 2018 locally? I believe God is calling us to continue making disciples, which is our mission as a church, to make disciples, And locally, I believe that means, we believe as a leadership, as we've talked and prayed this through, that means going from one to two services. I've already mentioned that terrifies me because it's logistics. I don't like logistics. I love the idea like, hey, growth, let's reach people. Let's see people meet Jesus. Awesome. Amen. How do we take care of people who are meeting Jesus? I have no idea. Can somebody else figure that out, please? Um, Going to two services, two worship gatherings requires planning and logistics. And God is asking us to take that step of faith. He's asking you as individuals who come here to choose a service, 9 a.m. or 1045, to give up some of the comfort of knowing everyone, to give up some of the comfort of of knowing exactly what you're going to get when you show up on a Sunday. He's asking us to step out in faith and trust him so that we can make more disciples in St. Louis Park. Going from 10 to 18 community groups, how's that going to happen? We don't know. We're trusting God to multiply leaders, to multiply groups, to reach more people. Building renovations. Again, this is a logistics detail thing that I have. I would rather sell everything that we own as a church and move to a different country. All of us together, let's do it. That sounds fun and adventurous. But God has called us here. And he has given us this resource. And we believe that he's asking us to make some changes, to move some things around that we could better reach our community with the way that our building functions. And so as we step into a new year, What does it look like for us to take steps of faith with stewarding the facility that God has given us to be used as a tool for ministry in this community? Regionally, we believe God is asking us to give, to give people resources to reach new neighborhoods and to plant or replant new churches. We want to be a multiplying church. We want to be a sending church. We don't want to grow Park community church. We want to grow the kingdom of God. And so, as Park Community Church grows, we want to do some things in the building to function more properly with our size and with our family, but we don't, want to, we don't want to change our building to acquire more people. We want, as people come, we want to send them out to plant the gospel in neighboring communities, in neighboring cities, to see new churches birthed. We've actually had two churches recently contact us about possibly helping to replant older dying churches. It's what God did here. It's an amazing story, an amazing step of faith that we took that God blessed. And so in the new year, let's pray about what that looks like. How is God asking us to give, not to keep, not to take, not to hoard, not to stock up, but to give and to send? Does that mean some of you should be praying about going to a neighboring community to plant the gospel in a neighborhood that doesn't have a vibrant, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church? It may. So be praying about that. Globally, giving to reach new nations. We want to increase our giving to our missionaries. We want to increase our sending. We want to send people across the ocean and around the world to reach different nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to care for the sneeze bees who are here and without a home come a couple weeks. They're here for now but they're dedicated to reaching a different nation of the world. And so what does it look like for us to give to them that the gospel would go forward? So this is where we believe that God is calling us to as a church. Are you ready? Yep, somebody is. One person. Great. Love it. Awesome. For those of you who aren't, keep reading. God will prepare you. Um, Those who are ready too quick, keep reading because he may slow you down. It may take 25 years. These, these things, they may not all come to pass in 2018. But Jesus has promised to build his church. He has promised to do it through us. He has promised to do it in St. Louis Park, in our surrounding cities, and in our world. And he has invited us into that journey to go with him, that we would experience things that we would never experience without him by our side. So that's where we're going as a church. We're step out, stepping out in faith making some plans, holding them with open hands, asking God to direct our steps. Because Jesus is, as Colossians 1.18 says, the head of the church, the body. We only want to move where he directs us and leads us to move. And so we need your prayers, we need your commitment. And as we transition now to a time of communion, I just want to remind us of this, that God calls in covenants, God called to Abraham. God calls to the figures in Scripture. It doesn't start with their good attributes. There's nothing that we know of Abram which made him the guy that God would call to and change him into Abraham. There's nothing about him. He was a normal, average person. He was like you, he was like I. He was just a person. And God called to him. God calls to each one of us. You're in this room. You have no excuse for not saying that God has reached out and called you. He's calling to you right now, calling you by name, saying, will you step out? He calls and he covenants. He promises to us. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will build my church. I will do it through you. And it will spread around the world. And you will be a part of this. And no matter what happens, you have an eternal, secure future. I have covenanted to bring you home. And he has proven that covenant through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us that God is faithful to his promises to uphold his covenant. And so God calls and he covenants with us so therefore we can follow with confidence. We can step out in faith. We can journey through this life. Whatever comes to pass, we can have confidence in who God is what God has done, and what he is doing. As we go to communion, there's two stations here in the front and one in the back. And I'd, I'd ask just logistically that you would come down the center aisle, take communion, it's intention, so you rip off a piece of bread and dip it, take, and then return to your seats. And this is for believers. It's for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. You can step out on this journey knowing that God is with you because Jesus has proven his covenant-keeping power. And so if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you can do that here and now and come and receive communion. And if your faith has been in Jesus and it's been on a journey for years, come back to the table and let these symbols remind you that it's not about the strength of your faith. It's about the one that your faith is in. Our faith varies, doesn't it? I mean, one day we may have a lot of faith. We may be ready to conquer the world. We may be ready to do whatever God asks us to. And the next day we wake up cold, lonely, scared, fearful, timid, not wanting to do anything, not wanting to get out of bed. And in that moment, God doesn't look at you and reject you. He says, place your faith in Jesus. Your faith needs to be placed in the right object Jesus, the Christ, the one who proves that God is faithful to his covenants, the one who will lead you home, the one who is with you through the highs and the lows, and the one who's guiding you on the journey, walking with you on the journey, and coming behind you to pick up the pieces and the messes that you make on that journey. So let these elements remind you that our faith needs to be placed in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then when we step out with him, He is a sure and steady anchor for us. In Christ alone, our hope is found. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you that you have called out to us. That you have made a covenant, a promise with us. And that you are faithful and just to fulfill your promises Lord, our our faith comes and goes because we are a fickle people who struggle to have faith. And so I pray that you would now nourish our faith, that you would remind us that our faith is best placed and only ought to be placed in you. I pray that the elements of communion would remind us to place our faith in Jesus the Christ, to believe the promises that you've given us, and to step out on the great adventure with you, knowing that you will provide what you've promised, that you will do what you've promised. We pray these things in your precious, holy name, Jesus. Amen.